Well, good morning, church family. Uh, thank you so much for joining us online. Maybe this is your very first time joining us. We are so grateful uh, that you tuned in today. Uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's kind of exciting. Um, over the last, uh, I guess maybe, I think this is week 15 that we're doing this. Uh, we're starting to see some things move back into their normal positions. You know, we kind of had the worship center all staged that we could do this um, out in the lobby. And so walk in today and those things are starting to change. They're starting to go back to their normal places. And I tell you, for me, it did my heart good to know that very soon uh, I'm not going to be looking at a camera preaching. I'm going to be looking at faces that are here. And, and we know that uh, for some of you, you are very excited uh, to be able to come back and, and be with your church family again, to be sitting in these pews, worshiping and studying together. Uh, and so we can't wait to have you. Uh, but we also know that for many of you, uh, you're still walking just a little bit cautiously through all of this. And that's totally fair. Uh, we're going to continue to do as, as good of a job as we can do with our, this online service so that you can continue to engage with us here at Sherwood Oaks. And like we've been saying, when you are ready to come back, uh, we will be ready for, for you. Um, so over the next couple of weeks, as we gear up for July 12th, we're going to be outlining uh, some of the adjustments that we're going to be making uh, to be ready for you and to provide uh, the safest environment that we can. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think that the website uh, is socc.org slash regather, and you can get all the information there. So in, in June 2016, uh, I took my, my brother-in-law and nephew on a hike uh, up one of my favorite mountains in New England, Mount Monadnock. It's, it's right on the border of Massachusetts and, and New Hampshire. Mount Monadnock means the one who stands alone. And so it's just this single mountain, you know, before you get to the, the bigger ranges up in, in northern New Hampshire into Vermont and Maine. And, and so which means that once you get to the top of Mount Monadnock, it's just this beautiful 360 degree view. It's gorgeous. It, it, and so I, I did that hike um, so many times. It was, it was definitely one of my favorites. And so we went up that day, had a great trip up. It was beautiful. And so we spent uh, plenty of time on the summit, just kind of laying there, enjoying the, the, the beauty of God's creation. And then we started to make our way back down. And, and you know, I tell people like, I would, I would rather climb a mountain three times than go down at once. My knees are, are a little hard. Uh, going down the, the mountain is a little bit hard on my knees. And uh, so, you know, it kind of hurts actually going down the mountain more than it does for me going up the mountain. And, and we got to this place that was a little bit technical. It was a little bit tricky. It wasn't too hard, but it definitely required uh, a little bit of focus. And so I'm going down. I'm, I'm the first one that's heading down this little, this little section. And, and I take my eye off, just momentarily, I take my eye off of where my foot is going to land and my foot slips and I go tumbling down these large, jagged rocks. And as I'm laying there after this roughly eight foot fall, trying to figure out what in the world just happened, like I'm flat on my back, I'm looking up and I feel and sense like some commotion next to me and I look over and there was a group of hikers that saw the entire thing. And I was like, oh man, that's so embarrassing. And you know, to their credit, they're doing their best not to laugh at me, but there's a little bit that's coming out. And one of the guys composes himself enough to look at me and say, hey man, you, you are right. And 
you know, at that point, I really didn't know if I was all right. I was still in that like check moment where I'm making sure that my arms and my legs bent the way that they were supposed to. Uh, but it turns out that the only injury that I sustained was this cut on my shin, this gash that was on my shin, uh, that today is a three inch scar uh, that serves as a reminder of, of that fall. Have you ever lost your footing like that? You know, it's scary when your foot slips and, and you begin to fall. I, I think it's why none of us do it gracefully, <laughs> because in that moment, like we're just, we're, we're panicked. It catches us off guard. We're not ready for it. Like I, I didn't blame the people at the bottom for laughing at me just a little bit. It's hard not to, because when, when you fall, I mean, your arms are flailing, you're going all around, you're just trying to catch yourself. It's a scary moment when you fall, when your foot slips. And it's not just scary when, when your physical foot slips. It can also be scary when your spiritual footing starts to slip too. So we're in week four of our, of our series called Just the Right Words. And, and over the last few weeks, we, we have studied how the book of Psalms, you know, when we go through these times in life, when, when we have a really hard time finding just the right words to say, the, the right words that give voice to our emotions, that the book of Psalms kind of gives words to those things that, that we feel that we can't put in to words. And, and so what we've seen through this is that the book of Psalms, not only not only does it, does it give us just the right words to capture these emotions, but it also gives us just the right words of, of encouragement and support and advice for what to do with that emotion. And so over the last few weeks, we have looked at anger and fear and sadness. And today we're turning our attention to doubt and so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 73. If you have a Bible app, open that up, turn to Psalm chapter 73. And this, I guess, maybe is just a, a little bit of a reminder. You know, one of these changes that, that we are going to make, you know, just to uh, decrease contact when we're in the worship center, um, we, we are going to just momentarily, this isn't forever, but just for a little bit, we're going to remove some of the things that are in the back of the pews. So like um, some of the, the Bibles, the pens, those kind of things. And so if you're in the habit of grabbing one of those pew Bibles uh, to open it up to, man, bring your own Bible, download a Bible app on your phone so that you can be ready when we regather on, on July 12th. But, but turn there to, to Psalm chapter 73. Now, most of us, at one time or another, most of us in our life will come to a time where we have doubts. We, we have questions about faith that maybe we've never had to, to wrestle with before. Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. Maybe you're tuning in here and, and you've never really crossed that line of faith because of the, the questions and, and the doubts that, that you have. And there are so many things that can make us doubt, that can cause our, our spiritual footing to slip. And so maybe you have unanswered questions about faith or you've been presented with a new argument that, that, that's making you question something that you once believed. And so now you're struggling with this intellectual doubt. Maybe for you, the doubt is um, more emotional. It stems from something that you have experienced that caused a pain in your life. And now you're, you're wrestling you're, 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 you're questioning why God didn't 
come through for you when, when you asked him to. You, you feel like there are times when you pray and your words go as high as the ceiling and then just kind of drop to the floor like no one's, like no one's listening. There's been a diagnosis. There's been a death of, of a loved one. And, and, and now you're, you're in this place where you're not necessarily questioning the existence of God, but you're starting to ask questions about the goodness of God. And so what do we do with our doubts that we experience from time to time? Well, there are some people that will just tell you, you know, just have faith, just believe, you can't doubt we get afraid of, of losing our spiritual footing and, and when it starts to slip. And, and so, so many people just try to bury their doubts or they just ignore them. Many parents get afraid when their children start asking questions that they don't have an answer to. And, and so they'll say something to their children who, who are asking legitimate, honest questions. They'll say something to their children like, oh, well, you just have to believe. You just have to have the faith or, or maybe... Even worse, they'll say something like, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And it's a well-meaning statement, it really is. And it might settle it for you, but in an increasingly post-Christian, secular culture, it won't settle it for people with genuine, authentic questions about the Christian faith. And so we can't be afraid to talk about our doubts. We can't be afraid to talk about the doubts that, that other people have. In her research on faith in college students, I found this really interesting. Lillian Kwan found that the more college students felt that they had the opportunity to express their doubt while they were in high school, the higher their levels of faith maturity and spiritual maturity. Meaning that when given the opportunity to, to wrestle with their doubt early on in life, many students came out with a stronger faith. And here's why I think it is. After, after about 10 years in student ministry, here's what I think it is. It's because when they graduate, they own their faith. They don't borrow it from their parents. They've wrestled with it, and now it has become theirs, not someone else's. And they're stronger for it. Researcher David Kinneman, who, who leads Barna Group, and Barna, I mean, this is what they do. They study things like this. He says this, he says, unexpressed doubt is one of the most powerful destroyers of faith. So we cannot be afraid or ignore our doubts or the doubts of others because believe it or not, like, like many different emotions, doubts have their place and their purpose. If I think about it like this, you know, for, for many, when you say, hey, who's the most famous doubter uh, that, that you can think of? For, for many people, you know, even if you didn't grow up in a church, you, you can think of one person named Thomas, Doubting Thomas, as we know him. And I've, I've heard poor, poor Tom Ellsworth has had to deal with that name Tom uh, for, for so long and had so many negative labels put on it, like Doubting Thomas. But what we find in Doubting Thomas, I think, is an example that is great for, for all of us. You may remember the other, the other disciples, they had seen Jesus. They had shared a meal with him. They had spent time with him. And because of that, they believed. And so they went back and they told Thomas, hey, we have seen the risen Lord. And Thomas is like, I'm not buying it. I don't believe you. And then he says, unless I can stick my finger through those nail-scarred hands and feet into his side, I don't know that I can believe this. Well, not long after that, 
John tells us about eight days later, Jesus shows up. And instead of berating Thomas for doubting, Jesus goes up to him and he says, look at my hands, look at my side, look at my feet. And Thomas, in a moment, declares, my Lord and my God. Scholars say it is one of the strongest faith statement made by any human in all of Scripture. And it's from a man most known for his doubts. Jesus doesn't scold Thomas for his doubt. He doesn't belittle him. He doesn't say, why didn't you just believe? Why didn't you just have faith? He shows him his nail-scarred hands. He tackles Thomas's doubt head on, and then, and then he tells him to have faith and belief. And so the question for us this morning is this, how can we walk faithfully through our own times of doubt? I think that the author of Psalm 73 gives us uh, the right words to help us navigate through our own seasons of questioning, our own seasons of doubt. And I want to use an outline of this text that has been used throughout the the centuries to to explain doubt and and how we can process times of doubt. We're going to look at doubt today through three lenses, the condition, the cause, and the cure. What is the condition of doubt? In other words, like how would we define doubt? What is the cause of doubt and what is the cure of doubt? So let's start with the condition. Look at me with uh, Psalm 73, starting in verse one. It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Now in the Bible, when, when, when you see it mentioned feet slipping or losing your foothold, it's a, it's a metaphor for losing your, your faith. You don't talk about losing your foothold typically if you're just walking on smooth, level ground. You talk about losing your foothold when things start to get uneven, when, when the train becomes a little bit more difficult. And so what the author is saying here is, is that he almost lost his faith. That spiritually speaking, he was about to slip and fall. It's a very vivid, vivid image of, of what doubt is like. You see, doubt happens when your eye gives your brain something that it cannot process and it makes you put your foot in the wrong place. When, when what you see does not align quite with what you know and it makes you put your, your foot in the wrong place. Put another way, Doubt is a spiritual vertigo that happens when your heart can't spiritually process what your eye is seeing. When your heart can't spiritually process what your eye is seeing. And so in verse one, he says, well, I thought that God was good. I thought that God was good. Surely he is good. But then he saw something that gave him spiritual vertigo and it almost caused him to slip. Now, I want to make sure that we don't miss who the author of this psalm is, who, who the person is that, is that is here on the brink of, of falling, who is on the, the brink of slipping away from his faith. If you look at the heading, um, just underneath where it says Psalm 73, it says a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph was a musician that, that served King David. And so you know, David would write a psalm. Um, he would give it to Asaph, uh, who would then go and sing it with the temple singers 
as, as an act of worship. We, we, we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 that, that Asaph ministered day and night. So Asaph is a faithful man of God. He is a minister to Israel. And beyond that, he is also the writer of Scripture. Twelve different psalms are attributed to Asaph. All that to say is that this is a man who's probably a little bit further along in his spiritual walk than I am. He's probably a little bit further along than, than you are. Even, even a guy like Tom Ellsworth, Asaph was an author of scripture. I don't know what your spiritual goals are. I don't really have that on my list of things that I'm trying to attain. So this is like a, a highly spiritual man, a mature man. And he's about ready to throw it all away because he's filled with doubt. And I think what this teaches us is that anyone can experience times of doubt. Doubt isn't just for atheists and agnostics, believers, followers of Jesus, faithful men and women wrestle and struggle through periods of doubt all the time. And so what caused Asaph's doubt? We know the condition, it's the spiritual vertigo that happens, but what caused his doubt? I think what caused his doubt is something that causes doubt in, in many of us. Look at the cause in verse three. It says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are so many things that can cause doubt, but we see what it is right here for Asaph. He saw something that didn't quite align with what he thought God was like or how he ought to operate. He looked around and saw self-absorbed, ruthless, selfish people. He saw them prospering. Meanwhile, he looked around and he saw good and upright people suffering, people who stood for justice and mercy, people who humbly walked with the Lord who came to the defense of others. They were the ones suffering. And what he saw caused him to doubt. And this isn't an intellectual doubt. It's an emotional doubt. He saw something that, that upset him. He saw evil and suffering that he considered to be unfair. And it made him call into question God's goodness. But we see later in the psalm that it's not just what Asaph saw. It's also what he experienced that made him call into question God's goodness and really brought this doubt home for him. Look at, look at verse four. He says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. It goes on in verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And then verse 14, all day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. And I think right there, right there we see it. You see, Asaph, Asaph had seen affliction he had seen injustice, he had seen evil, he had seen suffering, but he'd seen it in others. And it wasn't until he experienced it for himself that it really stirred something up inside of him that caused him to doubt. 
I wonder if you've ever been there before. I'll tell you, I know I have. Things are going well. Your faith is strong. You're growing in confidence in the Lord. And you are aware of the pain that others experience and the evil in this world that affects so many. But it doesn't affect you. It hasn't hit close to home for you. But then it does. Something happens. A death, a diagnosis, an affair. Something happens that gives you spiritual vertigo and you begin to lose your faith footing. And all of a sudden, you start to question what you thought to be true. And, and in those moments, it wasn't God that changed. It was your circumstances. And it caused you to doubt God's goodness and maybe even his existence. I think it's why Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is not the absence of reason. It's not checking your brain at the worship center door before you come in. Faith is holding on to what you know to be true despite what you see and what you feel in the moment. And so doubts come when personal experience makes what your mind knows to be true about God feel unreal in your heart. In my experience, both as a minister and a follower of Jesus, doubt rarely comes through logic alone. Tim, Tim Keller says that oftentimes doubt masquerades as intellectual, but really it's, it's emotional. There's an emotional root underneath it. But what we think we know and what we see don't align, it, it, it causes this doubt. And so what do we do? During those times of spiritual vertigo, when our faith starts to lose its foothold, what is the cure for doubt? I think the first thing that we see in our text here is that you've got to face your doubt head on. You've got to face it head on. Asaph evaluates his faith in light of his experience, and he starts to wonder if it's all worth it. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, when I tried to understand all of this, like when I reflected on the pain and the suffering that, that good people experience, while, while what I would consider wicked people prosper, when I tried to think and understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. But then we get to verse 17 which is a transitional verse for the entire passage. Asaph does something that changes everything. Look at what he does. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. You see, in the midst of his doubt, Asaph worships. And he faces his doubt head on. His experience of pain and suffering is what caused him to doubt. And so he countered it with another experience that would remind him of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so when doubt comes, and it almost certainly will come, you have to face it head on. It does no good to ignore it. You have to fight fire with fire. Meaning if your doubt is intellectual, the man, get books, study, read, talk to people, seek answers for the questions that you have. If you are having them, I guarantee you someone else has had them. If your doubt is more emotional, then face it head on with experiences that pull you back to the heart of God. Pray, worship, sing, meditate on the word of God. And, and you may be thinking, well, I'm not even a follower of Jesus and you want me to do these things? Yeah, man, give it a try. And see what God does in your life. 
An intellectual doubt will not always be satisfied with an emotional experience, you know, the spiritual experience, just like an emotional doubt will not always be satisfied by more knowledge. You, you may be experiencing pain and suffering, questioning the goodness of God, and I can give you all, all of the reasons that make a whole lot of sense in your mind, but it does nothing to ease the pain that you're feeling in your heart. And so you have to face your doubts head on, take them to God, and tackle them with him. In times of doubt, I think it's also important to take a step back and evaluate the the paths. You see, doubt is always going to take us somewhere. Like there's no such thing as someone who doubts and walks the middle line. Your doubt is always going to take you somewhere. And it's gonna take you either closer to God or it's gonna take you away from him. And when you take a step back, and, and you are able to evaluate the path that you're on against the one that you are about to take, you can see where they're going to lead. And so Asaph goes to worship, and, and this is what he finds. End of verse 17 says, Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to to ruin. And and so Asaph is able to take a step back and evaluate the paths. And he finds that while his spiritual footing is beginning to slip, the people walking down the other path are stumbling all over themselves. And he realizes that he doesn't want anything to do with that. You know, the truth is, is that whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you're left with some of the same questions about pain and about suffering. And so when you take a step back and you say, okay, how do these different worldviews answer those things? Then I think that you'll start to walk down the path that gives you the most assurance. And because there's no such thing as belief and non-belief. And we all put our faith in something or someone, but not everyone takes a step back to evaluate where that path they're on is going to lead and if it provides a firm footing when life gets hard. And the reason I choose to place my faith in a good and loving heavenly father, my faith in Jesus who lived and died and and lives again, my faith in the Holy Spirit moving and working in me, the reason I hold on to the Christian faith is because every time my foot starts to slip, I reach out and I find the hand of God holding on to mine. And he pulls me up and he places my feet on a firm foundation. Asaph puts it like this in verse 23. He says, yet I am always with you. Your, you uphold me by your right hand. And so the final cure for doubt that we see in our text is this. Hold on to your father who is holding on to you. Hold on to your father who is holding on to you. A few months after I took my fall on Mount Monadnock, our youngest daughter, Nora, told me that she wanted to go climb it with me. She was three years old at the time. And so I figured that we would go, we would do what she could do, and then we would turn around and we'd head back home. At the very least, we'd have a fun day hiking together in the woods didn't expect any, you know, much from it. But we got there and that little girl made it all the way up to the summit. I think we got a picture here of it. It was absolutely amazing. 
And there were times along the way when her foot started to slip on the rocky, uneven terrain, and she would reach out for my hand that was right there to catch her before she fell. Now, part of that was because her mom warned me, she better not get hurt while she's on this hike with you. Yes, ma'am, she won't. (laughs) But I say, even without that warning, I would have protected my daughter because she's my little girl. And I'm her daddy. And I love her. And I didn't want any harm to come to her. In this life, you will go through challenging and difficult times. There will be difficult terrain that you walk through that will cause your spiritual footing to stumble. In those times, when you feel like your faith is falling, reach out for the hand of your father that is already reaching out for you. And when you do, you will be able to sing with Asaph these words, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. God, thank you that in our times of doubt and our seasons of questioning, you do not leave us. You actually draw near to us. You minister to us just Jesus as you did to Thomas. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be a church where it is safe to have doubts. It is safe to have questions and it is safe to come and find the answers. Lord, your word is truth. You are truth. And God, I pray that our faith will be in you and that you will hold us and pull us up in those moments when we feel like we are slipping. Give us confidence, more confidence in who you are and how good you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.